Welcome to Sundial Now on WLRN. I'm Leslie Ohaya Atkinson. When you tune in to WLRN, you hear breaking news. Maybe it's a developing tropical storm, elections, or the latest in Latin America. And woven into those important informative reports is your voice, the perspectives, opinions, and sentiments of the community that we share. That's sense of place journalism. It means telling deeply local stories that reflect authentic voices, cultures, and shared experiences of the people who live here. It helps us to understand each other. WLRN's former editorial director, Alicia Zuckerman, is a champion for this form of journalism. She left in August after more than 14 years at WLRN News. More later in this segment on her new opportunity in California. But when I spoke with her, I started by asking her about one of her most recent projects in the newsroom, a podcast she edited called Detention by Design. It tells the story of how the arrival of Haitian and Cuban migrants by boat to South Florida in the 1970s and 80s shaped the country's immigration system. One of the voices in the podcast might be familiar, Marlene Bastian, the executive director of Family Action Network Movement in Miami. She's a force in the community here in South Florida, especially among Haitian immigrants. She recalled when she was a young girl living in Haiti during the reign of dictator Francois Duvalier, also known as Papa Doc. I've always been a very light sleeper. And then I would out hear the cries. It's, it's not even, you would not even be human, you know. Like, and then they would bury the person. The person is not dead yet. And they would bury the person like that. So sometimes I wonder why I, how come I can um, be so free and not be more traumatized about that. We began the conversation with Zuckerman by reflecting on this aspect of the podcast. One of the things her story represents is the larger story about immigration often, which is why people leave. And I I do think it's important to think about what drives immigration and obviously all different kinds of things drive immigration. But when we're talking about this moment in history, um, the migration by boat starting during the Duvalier regime in Haiti, um, thinking about the pressures at play and and some of the, the depth of the violence that was going on at that time um, is just, I think, a really important thing to remember about why people leave, why people left during that time, what they were risking in leaving. I think a lot of that is in Marlon Bastien's story and obviously in the in the podcast overall. And it's it's a big part of of why we did it to explain those forces that led to this migration. Yeah, I I loved so some of the names like Merlin Bastien's name is is recognizable, but you learn more about her. And then there's other names that are new, but all of the stories are so South Florida. They're so relatable. Like if you grew up here, you you, you hear these stories. And I want to go to another story that you worked on during your time here. You took a walk with Judy Bloom around her old neighborhood in South Beach. It's the neighborhood in her book starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. And it was your neighborhood, too. What's your most memorable moment from that walk? 
I, I think that the most, I mean, the most memorable moment is the fact that I took a walk with Judy Bloom, <laughs> yeah. which for a lot of people, I presume listening, understand um, how exciting that must have been. She was just uh, an icon of my childhood. Um, I even in third grade wrote a little quote unquote autobiography called I Want to Be Like Judy. <laughs> the other reason I'm grateful for it is because um, we as journalists do so many difficult stories, um, stories that I sometimes say are straight out of hell, frankly, in terms of the the pain and the suffering involved. And so to have the opportunity to hear about Judy Bloom's childhood. She spent a couple of years in Miami Beach as a kid and how that translated directly into this book she then wrote in the 70s, which was one of my favorite books. And to walk around Miami Beach to this day and to see those experiences and those geographical places and the flowers and the streets and all of the things that she mentions reflected right there in the neighborhood that I lived in for so long was just so meaningful and exciting. That book is, is somewhat of a fictionalized biography of Judy Bloom. Like you mentioned, she spent about two years here in South Florida in her childhood, and she shared some of those moments of her childhood with you that made it to the book. Even some names made it to the book. Miss Swetnick, Miss Swetnick. My fourth grade teacher, Helen Swetnick. That was her real name? That was her real name. And you put her real name in the book. I was insane, and nobody stopped me from using real names. But Peter Hornstein is really Peter Hornick. (laughs) Sally felt a tug on her right braid. She whipped around in her seat to tell Peter Hornstein to leave her hair alone once and for all. You know, he dipped my braids in um, his inkwell. He did do that. (laughs) But, oh, I, I loved him. He may have been the first boy I loved. I loved that discovering that so many of the people in the book were real um, and that she didn't even change their names was hilarious to me. Um, So she talks about this kid, Peter Hornstein, in the book. Sally talks about this kid, Peter Hornstein, who she had this huge crush on. And it turns out that that's straight out of Judy's real life. Um, Peter Hornick was his name, so she did slightly change his name there. He found out years later after the book was published uh, that he was in the book, actually had a chance to interview him as well, and he loved being a character in a Judy Bloom book. And one of the things that I didn't realize, which is just incredible, uh, is that through some very bizarre coincidence, somebody else from New Jersey, where Judy spent a lot of her childhood growing up, became a character in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and ended up moving in real life to Miami Beach, meeting Peter Hornick and marrying him. So in real life, unbeknownst to Judy Bloom until much, much later, a character from Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, married a character from starring Sally J. Friedman as herself in real life. That was pretty amazing. Oh, gosh, that's an amazing story. I, I think that's another book that should be. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Maybe combining. That, that sounds like fan fiction to me. Someone yeah. wants to take a crack at it. I, I can see that. And moving on, you also hosted the documentary special Remembering Andrew with Kenny Malone 10 years ago. This is one of those stories that has shaped what South Florida is today. What did you learn about the South Florida community during this time? Uh, I learned so much. I mean, I think I didn't 
quite, I mean, unless, you know, that was the point of us doing this documentary was that there were so many people in South Florida who had not lived through Hurricane Andrew because for a variety of reasons, I mean, we had done it for the 20th anniversary. So some people weren't born yet or were too young to remember. Lots of people had not lived here at the time. And yet it was this event that shaped so much about how people live in South Florida, why things are the way they are in a lot of different realms, and just what it must have been like for the people who did live through that. And that was the goal was to offer real understanding into what the experience of Hurricane Andrew was in the moment, but also the way that it shaped life in that part of the country. For that project, we collected from uh, listeners something like, you know, hundreds of hours of audio. And through that process, you know, I certainly came away with a much deeper understanding of why things are the way they are in South Florida. It definitely gave me a much deeper appreciation and frankly, a, a healthy fear of hurricanes. I would never take a hurricane or hurricane preparation lightly after listening to um, what that experience was like and and what people lived through. Also, listening to that and hearing about sort of like hurricane culture, people coming together sometimes to get shelter together, the person in the gasoline line with the cafecito, like all of those like hurricane culture, South Florida stories, I think also tell us a lot about who we are. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to sort of the larger goals of um, telling stories from a regional and local journalism perspective, as opposed to from a national perspective, which which is really different and really special. And I think, you know, being able to capture those moments where people are either nodding in recognition because they recognize the cafecito or waiting in line for the cafecito, or they learn something about the place where they live that they didn't know. Um, and have a better understanding of it and a better understanding, frankly, of, you know, their neighbors and the people who they pass every day, um, you know, on a walk or on the way to school or work. That's a big part of what I always hoped our approach would be, um, what we call sense of place journalism, so that people living here really have come away with a better understanding of each other. And speaking of that, more with the uh legislative side as well. You played a big role in WLRN's Tallahassee Takeover podcast, which is still ongoing. And that podcast also ties into understanding where we're living, understanding why things are the way they are. What would you say is the goal of of this podcast? And do you feel that it's met that goal so far? I hope so. I, you know, I think the goal um, has been to point out the ways that state government um, is specifically and systematically looking for ways to um, limit the power of local government in Florida. And that is, we started to observe across all different issues and all different kinds of local government, school boards, county commissions, decisions that villages were trying to make for themselves, Local voters, you know, voter voting for different measures on the ballot that then legislation was introduced to override. And one of the things that's really interesting to me that came out of this reporting, um, not just, you know, in one big story, but systematically as different episodes. 
and looking at it as beat by beat, issue by issue in the way that this is happening. One of the things that is so interesting is that this, while on its face may seem like it's, oh, it's, you know, Republicans versus Democrats or Democrats versus Republicans, it's not at all. Um, there are a lot of local lawmakers and voters on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, who have really deep concerns about the way that their local governing power is really being limited. And so we thought that was really important for people to realize that that's happening systematically and to see that it is not a concern just of one party or the other party. Totally. You see all these news stories and headlines. And in this podcast, you kind of get to see that they're not happening in silos. You know, this is like a full on living, breathing organism that is government. And uh, so I, I love that about the podcast. You kind of get to see that whole like panorama of what's happening in one one bite. Exactly, exactly. These things are not happening in silos. They're not one offs. They're not like unusual. This is this is happening as a systematic approach to limiting local government. Yeah. And uh, you're in Palo Alto right now doing the John S. Knight Journalism Fellowship Program at Stanford University. You're focused on expanding access to audio journalism and creating better experiences for people with hearing loss. Why is this something that was important to you personally? Yeah, well, um, my partner, Mark, uh, lost his hearing seven years ago. He was a professional musician. Uh, it was devastating, to say the least. You know, it became part of my everyday life that I was working in a medium that not just Mark, but millions of other people with some form different degrees of hearing loss, whether it's, you know, age-related hearing loss, profound hearing loss, less profound hearing loss, deafness, could largely not appreciate whether it's, you know, an interview on Sundial, whether it's Morning Edition or, you know, the Florida Roundup, but all the podcasts that we just talked about, you know, as things often go, personal experience is what leads to a, a deeper understanding of a problem. Um, and so that's how this issue sort of came onto my radar because of Mark. To have that taken away from him, but also um, this, I think, pretty critical form of journalism was um, a big blow. And I think for people who have hearing loss overall, we can do better in finding ways to make this work that we do accessible. That was WLRN's former editorial director, Alicia Zuckerman. You'll be able to find a full interview later today on our social media at WLRN Sundial. And that's Sundial now for Tuesday, September 27th. I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. The program is made possible in part by support from Miami Cancer Institute.